Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Who is this man? Before his mother, Jesus proclaimed, Woman, behold your son. And while this is oft understood to refer to John, being the one who would now take Mary in to his household, we also know that John was fond of using double entendres, words that have a double meaning. And so in addition, and maybe even more vividly, Jesus was proclaiming to his mother, Behold your son, as in look at me. Look what has happened to me. He was proclaiming and calling upon his mother, who in some sense represented the entire church, to look upon what had become of our king. Who is this man? Whom are we to behold this day? We hearken back to the Magi, the ones who understood it seemed as if before any others, who traveled from afar, bringing with them those, gold, those gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, who asked to see not the one who, would be born, who was born to be king, but they asked to see the one who is king, who was born king, those gifts of precious metals, of precious incense, they brought from afar so that they could come and fall down and worship him. Not only a king of man, but the king of all creation, God in the flesh. He was the one who provides for his people. Remember the crowds who would gather, the ones whom he would feed from such small lunches, the ones whom he would heal, the ones whom he would ensure were given what they needed in support of their life, providing their daily bread. And he is the one who is the Prince of Peace. During the time of his trials, there's an event that often is not even thought upon all that much. But when he's before Pilate and Pilate discovers he's a Galilean and that Herod, the king of, the Gal of Galilee, was in town, he sent Jesus over to Herod, who also interviewed and we're told that from that point forward, though they had been enemies and antagonistic to each other, going forward, Pilate and Herod were friends. By his very presence, he healed division between nations and country. Who is this man? He is the God of all creation. He is the Lord of life. He is the King of the Jews. And yet, if that is the case... He had the strangest coronation ever. It's been just shy of 70 years since the world probably witnessed the last great coronation uh, across the globe as Queen Elizabeth was crowned Queen of the United Kingdom. And though I personally have only seen clips of, of that day, it doesn't even take needing to see the clips to understand the pomp and circumstance that surrounded that event as the entire world stopped to witness this grand occasion, which happens once in a lifetime, if that, of taking this woman, putting her before, bringing her before the throne of God, placing upon her the crown, granting her rich robes and titles, and indeed, the ceremonies and the, and the celebrations that followed for days, if not weeks on end, as she traveled around her country and her nation to the four corners of the world. Compare that to this. Here was the king, the king of the Jews, the king of creation, 
and far from being decked in royal robes, he was hanging naked from the cross. Even that purple robe that had been put on him in mockery by the soldiers was stripped away. And yet, how proper it is. For this reminds us who he is, namely the second Adam. That he is the one who inherited the mantle of our first father. The one who had been given dominion over all the land. Who had been provided all he needed in that garden of Eden. And yet, tossed it away because he thought it wasn't enough. As he, le- as he listened to the lies and temptations of Satan. Yet here is the one who had everything taken away. A se- the second Adam. The new man. He had his friends who abandoned him. His family who left him and ridiculed him. He was beaten and he was stripped. He was mocked and not honored. And there he was for all the world to see on a throne. Not of ivory or of precious gems but of splintery wood and of the cross. Nailed there, forced to be there. And while in many sense it wasn't of his own volition, he willingly allowed it to happen. For at any moment he could have ended this whole travesty. He could have called out to his father, send forth the angels. And legions upon legions would have come forth to free him and rescue him. Yet at the same time, they would also have utterly destroyed man those of us in rebellion. And so he went there. He endured it all, crowned again, not with gold, but with thorns, crowned as one who was despised among many. Even at the very end, as he knew his last moments were upon him, as he called for a drink, the drink of celebration, the drink of victory, it wasn't even of a of a wine of lesser caliber, it was soured wine. Not the richest wines of France or of other lands, but it was that which had been left out, that which has even turned to vinegar. How bitter was his death, how tragic was it was that he endured. And so we ask why? Why was this necessary? And the first answer is he is the king of the Jews. We might not fully understand that title until you recognize that not only is the heir of David, but he is the heir of Abraham and even all the way back to Adam. The king of the Jews, in in one important sense, is the king of the world. He is inheriting the power and authority which came from Adam. What had Adam done? He had took the kingdom of life which had been given to him and turned it into a kingdom of death. With his fall, the entire creation was fallen. And the truth is, what we witness for this coronation is the very appropriate coronation for the king of the Jews, for the king of creation. For he was not inheriting a world of splendor, but a world that was corrupt. In many ways, and in a true way, this is what happens every day as we, in, as we partake of this world. Not sure if you've ever had the opportunity to go and tour Universal Studios or some other movie studio. And you go down and you see the facades and it looks wonderful. The main streets that are filmed for movies with all of the buildings that might be very nostalgic. But then you simply look behind. You look what is on the other side of what you see on Main Street. And it's plain, maybe even dingy looking because it doesn't matter. So it is in this world. We often see what might look splendor and powerful, 
We see them pop in circumstance of worldly kings. We see the halls of power, such as in Congress or in the White House. Yet behind it all is a fallen creation. And the reality is it's no different than what our Lord endured. Although I will say it's different in one way. For the difficulties and trials we face in this life are from a fallen creation. Our Lord endured even more. He entered right into the heart of the kingdom of death. He endured not only the death of the cross, but he was enduring the rejection of the Father, that which we rightly deserve, but which our Lord held in abeyance. When he went to find Adam on that first day, he offered him the hope that there would be yet one whom he would forsake, one whom he would strike, would be stricken and smitten for our affliction, as Isaiah prophesied, a man full of sorrows, a man despised and wretched. And yet it was by his stripes that we are healed. It was by his suffering that we receive life. He was forsaken by the Father so that we would be received by the Father. So the truth is, though, as he took upon himself the crown of the kingdom of death, as he entered into the realm of darkness itself, here is where everything went awry for the powers of darkness and for death. For Jesus is still the Lord of life. He is still the king of all creation. He is still love, he, he is still love at its fullness. And darkness could not contain him. Death could not hold him. And so we wait because we know how this story ends. We know how these events play out. Our Lord will rest in the tomb for a day as is proper on the Sabbath. But come Sunday morning, come the first day of the week, as the sun rises, so too does our Lord. For death cannot hold the Lord of life, and he shatters the power of death. Today, we reflect on what our Lord has done. We give thanks for the price he has paid. We acknowledge that it is our sins which placed him on the cross. But we give thanks that it was his love that kept him there, and thus, by his actions, by his death, by his suffering, by his burial, he destroyed the one thing which we truly fear, which is death itself. And death no longer has power over us, for the power of death is shattered forever. Amen. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We sing our post-sermon hymn, Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted, Hymn 451.